Quebec's controversial new language bill was passed in the legislature last week. It governs wide swaths of Quebec life, including college spaces and in what language people can access health care. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Montreal Gazette columnist Alison Haynes joins me to discuss why the bill is so controversial, how it could affect relations between Anglophones and Francophones, and whether it offers Quebec's premier a federal punching bag when voters go to the polls in September. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Allison, the Quebec government last week passed a new law that kind of radically changes dealings around language in that province. So, for people who don't necessarily follow Quebec politics closely, what is Bill 96? So Bill 96 is the first major update of the language laws in generations, really. Most Canadians outside of Quebec have probably heard of Bill 101, which was the original language legislation, the Charte de la langue française, that determined that French must be the predominant language of Quebec on signs. It determined that newcomers, francophones and immigrants to Quebec must go to French school and a whole lot of things that people are probably already familiar with. But this was the first major overhaul in, you know, many, many years. And the attempt to protect the French language in a very different time when there's social media where, you know, the onslaught of English from pop culture is much stronger. So, That's basically what it is. It's an update of what we've already had. And what was the stated aim of Francois Legault and his government in Bill 96? Is it just, you know, we need to bring these language laws into the 21st century? It's been a long time since we've updated them. Or are there concerns that there's, you know, encroachment on the supremacy of the French language in Quebec, that there are concerns for the future of the French language in Quebec? What was the stated aim of the government with this bill? The fact that Quebec remains the only French-speaking society in North America where the official language is French, you know, takes effort. It it takes vigilance. And I think English-speaking Quebecers, newcomers to Quebec, and especially Francophones are, you know, accept that. Even, Even if Bill 101 was controversial way back in the day, you know, everyone accepts that now. And there's a lot of pride taken in the fact that Quebec still speaks French today, and that's the predominant language. But it takes effort to keep it that way. But there's always a lot of hand-wringing in Quebec about, you know, the state of French. How is French going? Are we losing ground to English? Are immigrants adopting French as their main language when they come here? And there's people who look at it with a glass half full kind of attitude. There's people who look at it with a glass half empty attitude. I think Anglophones and immigrants who come here and end up being trilingual or bilingual or quadrilingual, you know, they look at it as we're happy to embrace French, but we have other identities too. A lot of hardliners, language hawks, as we often call them, see it as French is constantly losing ground. And there's always, you know, battles of the sociodemographers and the how do you interpret the census data and what does it mean as to the vitality of French and the state of French. And A lot of uh, nationalists and francophones take a very negative view of how things are going. So they see things like reports of increased bilingualism in the workplace, which is both French 
and English speakers saying they're speaking the other language more. That's more a factor of internationalism where they see the bonjour, hi, greeting in, you know, downtown businesses as an affront and a, and a sign that French is not doing well. So a lot of it is political, though, in terms of the vision of Quebec and pride and, and nationalism in the French language versus sort of the nuanced reality of what some of these phenomena actually mean on the ground. What areas of public life does it cover? And I guess what is different about it from Bill 101? So it covers almost every aspect of public life. Um, I could go on here at length, but a few examples are it's SAGEP, which is our post-high school, college, pre-university college system. Since Bill 101 was instituted, uh, francophones and allophones could choose to go there. And many do. Quite, the English colleges are quite competitive to get into because it's the first chance they've had to speak French. Well, some people think Bill 101 should be applied to SAGEPs. The government didn't go that far, but they've kept enrollment to kind of prevent so many francophones and, and allophones from going to Seychelles, they've imposed new French language course requirements on students. Both the francophones and allophones who go to English colleges now will have to pass the same French exit exam to graduate as those in francophone colleges. Anglophones will have to take three new courses. So that's one thing. New immigrants who come here will now have six months window maximum in which they can communicate with the government in English, because right now, you know, public services are offered in English for those who speak English for the Anglophones, but they're very much trying to limit any providing of English services to quote unquote historic Anglophones, which is traditional Anglophones, which is sort of a, a made up category of people who qualify for English school. That's sort of the dividing line. But immigrants will only have six six months to get services, you know, if they go to the renew their driver's license or, you know, file their taxes and then too bad, so sad, no matter how much they're struggling to master French. Businesses of 25 employees and over will now have to do all their contracts and administrative work in French before it was limited. That was only required of businesses. Over 50 people, court decisions. There's access to justice in English and French in Quebec, but they're trying to limit that. Any English court decision will have to be translated without delay. Business lawsuits and all that, all the materials will have to be, if they're intended to be in English, they'll have to also be in French so that there was a bit of a war going on between the chief justice of Quebec court and the justice minister over whether judges should be required to speak English anymore, whether that could be even a qualification for choosing judges. And the chief justice of the court said, well, yeah, you don't have any say over that. That's not for you. And then the justice minister introduced separate legislation to tamp down on that. So hmm. I could go on and on and on here. As you said, it covers almost every aspect of public life. From your perspective and through the debate as this legislation was being moved through the National Assembly, what are some of the more controversial aspects of the legislation? Is it the capping of SEGEP? Is it accessing medical care? Are businesses upset about having to conduct all of their contracts and things like that in French? What has proven most controversial for the government? Well, we haven't even gotten to some of the actually more controversial parts of the <laughs> bill yet. Those are more the practical implications in terms of which aspects of life. And I think, obviously, different people are affected in different ways. 
young people who want to go to college in English, both francophone, allophone, and anglophone, all have concerns about you know whether they're going to be able to get in now, and that they've capped enrollment, and you know others have concerns about whether they're still going to be able to talk to their doctor in French when if they go to the emergency room. But there's some bigger picture elements of this bill that people have been disturbed about from the beginning. First of all, there is a sort of rewriting of the Constitution, the Canadian Constitution, by the way, mm-hmm. to declare that Quebec is a nation within Canada where the only official language is French. So what are the implications of that for English speaking or other language, linguistic minorities or indigenous people? Are we, are we second class citizens? Then there is the elevation of the Charte de la Langue Française, the French language charter, which now takes precedence over both the Canadian and Quebec human rights charters. Mm-hmm. What are the implications of that? People don't know and they don't know how it's going to be applied. The Office Québécois de la Langue Française, which is what we sometimes refer to as the language police who investigate anonymous complaints, will have warrantless search and seizure powers. That's not over individuals items, but they could go into a business or a public institution based on anonymous complaint and seize computers and cell phones and whatnot without having to go before a judge. And then the other one is, is the bigger one, perhaps, perhaps the biggest of all is all of this is covered by the notwithstanding clause. It's been preemptively invoked to prevent charter challenges, to prevent court challenges. So it's really uh, a bit of a straitjacket on sorting all of this out. And that's notable because in the past with Bill 101 and with some other pieces of companion legislation that have been filed, the courts have been a, a great mediator. They've come in and reduced the stringency of some of these pieces of legislation. So the fact that that option is not there, I mean, uh, you can still challenge it, but we've already seen with Bill 21, the secularism law that on first instance, the judge said, well, yeah, all of this is unconstitutional, but the notwithstanding clause can't do anything about it. So we'll see how that goes to the Court of Appeal and then the, likely the Supreme Court. But those are the more alarming aspects of the bill besides just the day-to-day. For people who violate the law, and you mentioned this warrantless search and seizure they could go into businesses and seize computers and things like that. What kind of punishments are available to authorities under the law? Well, I think it's a lot of, you know, fines, but also just having to go through the process of getting in trouble. If it's people, members of professional orders like accountants or engineers, suppose they could lose their licenses or be disciplined by their orders for not following these rules. I mean, no one's going to get thrown in jail, but you could definitely lose a lot of money and lose your business or, you know, lose a license to operate. But it's also just the hassle of being put through that. I mean, being inspected, have people come in and if it's a business, take your stuff, your computers and your your staff members' um, cell phones to see if you've been communicating in English or have the wrong versions of, you know, Windows on your computer. We'll be right back. As you mentioned, there's a great diversity among communities in Quebec. There are Francophones, there are Anglophones, there are immigrants who come from many places, First Nations. Mm -hmm. What does this do for relations between Anglophones and Francophones and Allophones? And 
does it speak to tensions that already exist or does it have the potential to increase tensions between these diverse communities? One of the great shames of this is that the last 20, 25 years of relative peace on the federalist sovereigntist front and on the nationalist front and on the language front has basically been upended. Like I think most Francophones generally support additional protections for French and most Anglophones but the way they're going about it is many Anglophones and Allophones and Indigenous peoples feel that this isn't about protecting and promoting French, that it's more punitive. And there's been a lot of divisive debate about the law. If, even among the political parties, if you're not for the law, then you're, you're against protecting French in Quebec, rather than looking at whether the dispositions are warranted for what it's trying to accomplish. And the, I think it's definitely revived language tensions and old uh, caricatures of the English community as these angry phones who are just going to try to thwart any attempt to protect French and don't want to be part of Quebec society. When I think the opposite has been true for the last 25, 30, even 40 years, that there's been a great acceptance and embrace of French. And now a lot of Anglophones are feeling othered. A lot of them are feeling like, well, am I ever going to be good enough? Am I ever going to be speak French well enough to be accepted in this province? And what about my children? Are they being set up to fail with this system? So there's a lot of angst. I feel like it's early to say tensions, although there might be a little bit of that, those old resentments being revived. But there's definitely a lot of angst among Anglophones and a lot of perhaps dismissive comments. There's this old trope that this is the most spoiled minority in the world. What are you complaining about? So that is definitely being revived. And in terms of Quebec's great diversity, I think that's one thing we have to remember. It's not just, you know, white Anglo-Saxons who are Anglophones anymore. The English-speaking community is very diverse. Or people who speak English but might not identify as part of the English-speaking community are, you know, come from an array of, of backgrounds. So as Quebec also deals with the same phenomenon going on elsewhere in the world in terms of trying to be more inclusive and, and fighting racism and looking at systemic discrimination, I think this sort of also comes into play. And of course, in, in terms of reconciliation with Indigenous people, this is a big one. There are communities that are very angry, and it's not across the board. It's mostly the educational requirements that seem to have really upset Indigenous communities, because in some communities, lean more towards being Anglophone, and some lean towards being more Francophone. And the ones, especially you know, Ganawage and Ganasitage around Montreal, they lean towards being more Anglophone and French is a third language for them. So mm -hmm. a lot of people see it as being an added barrier for Indigenous children if they want to go to college, if they want to go to university, that they're now going to have to take these French courses. So they're looking for a full exemption for their communities from the law. And so far, it's been like no way not even going to entertain that. But they're saying this sets back the cause of reconciliation by by a huge distance because this law is so dogmatic and not taking into account the needs of anyone or anything other than the preservation of the French language. You mentioned that there's a lot of politics wrapped up in this, and I'm curious what the political reaction has been. I mean, typically you look at the Quebec Liberal Party and they may be seen as a more federalist party and they may be seen as potentially being more sympathetic to Anglophones compared to the CAQ. What has been the reaction from opposition parties in Quebec? So basically just to 
run the gamut. The Parti Québécois, you know, who introduced this, the original Bill 101, this did not go far enough in their minds. Hmm. It, this is too timid and doesn't address their problems. Bill 101 being applied to colleges was one of the ones that they really wanted to see. They actually voted against it passed 78 to 29. And the Parti Québécois at the last minute said, yeah, we're not voting for this because it's not strong enough. And then you have Quebec Solidaire, who's a newer party and uh, a little more on the left socialist. They voted for it with reservations. Their big concern was, you know, how were the Francisization of new immigrants and that this was too punitive and not giving people enough time to adapt to French. But they voted with it for it with reservations. The liberals, well, that's another big story here because they were kind of playing along with the bill, saying that they might support it at the beginning and going through all kinds of amendments. But they made a big own goal. They proposed an amendment that wasn't in the original bill, which was the one to make students at English colleges take more French courses. And all the CEGEP administrators, even the, you know, francophone speaking representative of the CEGEP Federation was saying, like, this is not a good idea. This is just setting up young Anglophones for failure. This is going to, you know, dim the prospects of some because you've just set the bar too high. You're not putting enough implementation time to implement it. You're not, uh, you haven't talked to a single college administrator about whether this is a good idea or not. So the Liberals ended up facing a huge backlash for being the actual proposers of this amendment. And that was one that really struck a nerve about, you know, what does this mean for our children? So they had to do a huge, huge climb down and then try to bring in amendments to soften it. So I got softened to three language versus three additional history, science, or, you know, uh, geography courses in French. So now it's an option. They can do core program courses or they can do second language courses mm -hmm. to have to pass. But but that was not in the original bill and it, it became a big uh, flashpoint. So the Liberals had to then do a huge backtrack in a 180, realize that, realizing they'd alienated many of their core voters, Anglophones and newcomers and people from minority communities who've traditionally voted Liberal, felt very abandoned. And to the credit of leader Dominique Anglade, she did recognize this. She did try to fix it. It was was lessened, though not completely removed from the bill. But that required a lot of humility and eating crow and having to take a political flack from the CAC saying, oh, you know, you know, look who's soft on this now. And this was your idea. And now you're saying it's too hard. So that was hard. But there is fallout for the Liberal Party as well. And it'll be interesting to see if voters punish them when election comes up next year or whether they they flock back for for lack of other choices there are two new political parties who say they're starting up to promote minority rights and defend federalism and and anglophones so we'll see their vote could be splintered yeah. but i mean francois legault and his government are you know patting themselves on the back and this is the centerpiece of their nationalist agenda and they have a big political convention coming up next weekend where the theme is fierté or pride, pride in the French language, pride in Quebec. So this will be a great thing for them to vaunt to their electorate. As this has ramifications for the Constitution of Canada, I'm curious how the federal government has responded and whether this potentially gives Francois Legault an easy whipping boy in the provincial election campaign this fall. 
Absolutely. So there's been a lot of frustration on the part of Anglophones and minorities dating back to Bill 21, which is the secularism bill passed a couple of years ago, where it says that public servants in certain positions of authority, most notably teacher or police officer, cannot wear religious garb. So no hijabs, no turbans, no kippahs. So minorities have felt very sort of abandoned since then because there was a lot of lip service to minority rights and concerns expressed about what this would do to minority rights. But there wasn't much action from the federal government. There wasn't much pushback. There's a court challenge in Bill 21, as I mentioned, trying to to have it overturned or at least weakened. And the federal government only said yesterday, 100%, which was big news in Quebec, that, oh, well, it would intervene when it gets to the Supreme Court. It's not the Court of Appeal. So there's a lot of frustration towards the federal liberals that they haven't done much. Same on Bill 96. They've expressed concern, you know, the thoughts and prayers, but there's not much action, not much pushback, not much criticism and we do see why like Francois Legault uh, during the federal election last fall you know was very vocally actually endorsed the conservatives because he thought uh, the liberals and the NDP were too bad on Bill 21 and uh, I think the leader at the time Aaron O'Toole had promised not to touch Bill 21 if he got in office and then Francois Legault you know waded into the federal campaign with a very unprecedented endorsement of wasn't even the Bloc Québécois, it was the conservatives that he wanted to see come to power because they'd leave Quebec alone. But it's just a trap because that's not going to stop him in the future. And and for sure, Legault campaigning against Trudeau to whip up more support for himself and more support among nationalists is probably going to be a theme of this campaign. So Mm -hmm. now that the government has said, hmm, we're going to intervene at Bill 21 when it reaches the Supreme Court, and and we're keeping a close eye on Bill 96 as well, which is the new language law, it's unfortunate in the sense that it's taken this long, but if no one stands up for the Constitution, if no one stands up for minority rights in Ottawa, then, then what are we doing? I've been saying for a while now in in my writing and from my observations that everyone's worried about the next referendum. I don't think at this point we need to worry about that because he's achieving um, what he wants bit by bit, incrementally, gradually with his nationalist agenda. And why bother with a vote on it? But if we go back to the old language tensions of the past and the old federal provincial cleavages that we've seen in the past, which... It seem inevitable now, unless we just want to let Legault run amok and do his own thing, if that's how Ottawa wants to treat it, then it's sort of inevitable that the federal government's going to have to roll up its sleeves and, and get in there. Otherwise, he's just going to keep walking all over them and they're frustrating the people who support them. Well, it will be fascinating to see the fallout from this legislation and how it plays into the election this fall. Allison, thanks for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Alison Haynes. More from her at MontrealGazette.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.